Think about the love of God. Scripture says God demonstrates His love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God has proven that He loves us through the death of His Son and also, as Marlene's saying, uh, the proof that the God calls us to come to Him in prayer, uh, to cast our anxieties, our burdens on Him because He cares for us. And so we know God loves us because of the cross and because He's called us to prayer. We also know God loves us because God speaks to us. You know, one of the most unloving things we can do to someone is to uh, give them the cold shoulder, to not speak to them. And we have a God who has graciously chosen to speak to us, and that's what our message is about this morning, the love of God on display through God's speech to us, through His words of life. Psalm 19, I encourage you to open your Bible there with me this morning uh, as we work our way through some of these selected psalms. Uh, and Psalm 19 is where we are at this morning. Technology has radically transformed the way we find information. When I was a young person in school uh, writing a research paper, I used to have to go to this thing called the card catalog. You all know what I'm talking about, you know, the, the big cabinet with those little drawers, and you had to pull out those little drawers and find those little index cards and try to find whether or not the library had on hand anything you could use for your research, because if it wasn't there, you weren't, you weren't going to find it. And so to dig in through that, kids today will not know the struggle. You know, you'd spent half your time writing a paper trying to find information, and there was a shortage of information. But today, I mean, all you got to do is sit down a computer, type in a few words, boom. Problem is not a lack of information, the, the problem today is there's an abundance of, of information, trying to sort through it and figure out what's good information and what is not. But also technology allows us not only the way we gather info, but it's changed the way we uh, reveal information. If we have something that we want other people to know, whether it be about ourselves, about our family, about our church, we can instantly broadcast and let people know information about ourselves we see that today in psalm 19 david points to where god has posted information about himself that we have a god who has chosen to reveal certain things about himself his character and, and about his person and his power and because god has revealed these things we have this awesome privilege of gathering information about god but we also have an overwhelming responsibility. If, if God indeed has spoken, then what God has said is of utmost importance. We have a responsibility to learn this information about God and then humbly submit to this information that God has given us. And that's the theme of our sermon today. Praise God that He has graciously chosen to reveal Himself. He could have stayed in the dark and not told us anything about Himself at all but praise God, he has graciously chosen to reveal information about himself and how we can know him. I want to invite you to stand with me as we read God's holy word this morning. These wonderful words of life that God has spoken to lead us <clears throat> toward himself. Psalm 19, I begin at verse 1. David writes these following words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. And their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, 
and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep your servant back from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray together. God, indeed, we do praise you that you are a God who speaks, a God who reveals. For that, Lord, we are, we are grateful. Holy Spirit, you inspired these words through David thousands of years ago, but they are living words. They are true and active words. Illuminate our minds to understand. Illuminate our hearts to embrace these wonderful words of life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We've been going through a sermon series called the Hebrew Hymn Book as we have been looking at selected passages from the Psalms. And the Psalms are indeed a, a collection of prayers of God's people, a, a collection of praises. These were, were, were poems that were used to be sung to God. Indeed, it was a collection of hymns, a a hymn book for the Hebrews. And we see a superscription at the beginning of Psalm 19 today where it says, Psalm of David, literally for the choir director. So this tells us right away, this was a psalm that David wrote, as the Holy Spirit laid on his heart, a song that, that David wrote that was meant to be sung in a corporate setting. It's for the choir director, it was for their version of Malcolm, to lead the congregation in a song of praise to God. So this is from God's people to God. And the choir director. And what he's speaking about here is the subject of, of God who speaks. And that, that's, that's a foundation for the Christian faith. We would not know anything about God. We would not know anything about who He is and what He expects of us were it not for the fact that God has spoken. And as I said at the outset, that's a wonderful privilege for us, but it's also a tremendous responsibility. God speaks. And how does God speak to us? Well, David shows us two primary ways. First of all, God's works reveal His glory. God's works, His creation, what God has made, reveals. It, it peels the curtain back and allows us to see His glory through what He has made. A clear demonstration of His power. Here, David we know from his earlier experience in life with a shepherd, had many opportunities to lay on his back and stare up into the heavens and ponder the greatness and the glory of God through what he has made. And perhaps this is a reflection on that. His works reveal his glory. First of all, they speak unceasingly. 
What God has to say about himself through creation, it speaks unceasingly. Verse 1 says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God. Their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Telling, declaring, present tense, ongoing action. They are telling. They are declaring. Verse 2, they pour forth speech day to day and night to night. So what God is saying through creation does not stop. Constantly telling, constantly declaring, day to day, night to night, pouring forth, speaking, unceasingly, unceasingly. And we see these words in verse 1, heavens and expanse, and it reminds us of what God has revealed back in Genesis chapter 1. Whenever it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. On day one, it talks about those things. Day two, that God created the expanse, the sky. Same word here. David's pondering on the fact that God is a God of creation. He even uses the name of God as found in Genesis 1. Elohim in Hebrew, it's a, it's a name for just God in general. God. So David is pondering the fact that there is this God who has made all things. And what God has created speaks to his glory unceasingly. Uninterrupted proclamation. Secondly, his works, they speak universally. Universally. They, they, they speak to all people. It says there's no speech, no words, their voice is not heard. So creation is speaking not, not vocally, but visibly. We can look and see, wow, there's all this stuff. Where did it come from? Not only is there all this stuff, but there's all this stuff that, that seems to be working in harmony. You've got planets rotating around the sun. You, you, you've got you know, atoms and molecules inside our bodies. You've got these wonderful in, you know, digestive systems and, 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 and the heart and the way it pumps blood through the body. And all these things seem to be working, and it's amazing. There is a, a creator. There is a sustainer. There is a mind behind all these things. We see that in creation. It speaks to us universally, to all people. Notice what he says in, in verse 4. He says their line, their voice, their sound has gone through all the earth, their utterance to the end of the world. All the earth, end of the world. Everywhere you go, if you're able to look, you can see that there is creation. God's glory is revealed universally through what he has made. He speaks to everyone through what he has made. His works reveal His glory. They speak undeniably. Undeniably. In verse 4, at the end, He begins to talk specifically about the sun. In general, He's talking about his, uh, the heavens and the expanse, and now He narrows it down. What's His focus on, on the sun? Let that be our, our example, He says. The sun was worshipped by many religions in David's day. Even, even today, people look to the sun and the stars to try to, to figure out what's going to happen in their lives. And David shows the sun is not something to be worshipped, but the sun was made, it was created by God to do God's will. And he says in verse 4 at the end, he says, in the heavens, in the expanse, he has placed a tent for the sun. And then he gives a couple of metaphors for the sun. It's like a bridegroom, it's like a strong man. A bridegroom. In our culture today, when a husband and wife are going to get married, 
the husband stands at the altar and he waits for the bride to come to him. In David's culture, a, a couple was engaged or betrothed, and then about a year after that fact, there would come the time for the marriage to be consummated, and, and the bridegroom would leave his house, and, and he would leave in this, in this big parade, this big festivity. He would get himself all dressed up, and he would leave his house and go to the house of, of his future wife, of, uh, of her family, and he would go to, to get her. And the whole village would participate, and they would see and they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt, here is this, this bridegroom full of joy and radiance and, and full of, 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 of glory and, and, and majesty. And everyone would know undeniably what was going on. There's this bridegroom. It's like the sun. He says, everybody sees what it's doing. And then he gives the example of it being like a strong man running its course. It's, it's, it's undeniable. It's unstoppable. This strong man, he's going to conquer this course, and there's nobody that's going to, going to get in his way. He's a champion. He's victorious. And the sun is like that. Nobody's going to stop the sun because God has put it in place to do what it's doing. And he says it's rising. It's from one end of the heavens. It's circuit to the other end. It's doing what it's doing because God has ordained it. It's not in control, but God has put it into place. And God is making it work. And, it's, and we are to say, wow, this, this magnificent, unstoppable thing called the sun doing what it's doing. It's declaring to us, hey, there is a God. And God has put these things in motion. And speaking about the sun, he says there's nothing hidden from its heat. It sees everything, you know, every, you know, everything under the sun. You know, the sun goes over the earth and it sees everything. And it provides heat, it's, it's warmth. Sometimes the warmth of the sun is a blessing. Other times the warmth of the sun is a, is a curse, isn't it? He said the sun sees all and it, it blesses all or it judges all based upon what it sees. And if the sun does that and God created the sun and God put the sun in motion, guess what? God sees everything. God knows everything. God judges everything. We learn this about God through creation. We learn this about God through His revelation. You know, it's possible to know a lot about somebody but not actually know them. For example, John Calipari. I, I know he was born in Pennsylvania. I know he was an assistant coach at Kansas and where he met his future wife, Ellen. I know he coached at the University of Massachusetts and went to the NBA and coached the New Jersey Nets and got fired there. And then he went to coach Memphis Tigers and now he's the coach at the University of Kentucky. I know these things about him. I know where he lives. I know he lives on Richmond Road there in Lexington. I've even met the guy one time and I had the opportunity to ask him if he was a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I, I, I know about him, but what do you think he would do if I showed up at his house unannounced and just opened the door and walked in and said, Hey, Coach, it's good to see you. You think he would accept me with open arms and say, Brother Todd, it's a, it's a, it's a blessing to have you here. No, he'd probably treat me like he did that referee yesterday <laughs> in the South Carolina game. You know, he would say, I don't know you. I would say, but, but I know a lot about you, but you don't know me. There's a distinction there. And that's what David's talking about in this psalm. Through creation, through what we call general revelation, God reveals some things about himself to everyone. Through what has been made, 
through creation and through the human conscience. We know there is a God. We know this God's powerful. We know this God's wise. And we know this God demands things of us. But what is that? General revelation stops there. There is enough information about God to condemn everyone on the planet. But there's not enough information to convert anyone. That's why we need what's called special revelation that God speaks in specific ways to specific individuals about specific things. That's the theme of this psalm. God speaks through creation. His works reveal His glory. Then David goes even deeper than that and says God's Word reveals His grace. God's Word reveals His grace. How can I be made right? How can I be in good standing with this God who created the heavens and the expanse and governs and, 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 and provides the sun. How can I be in good standing with that God? I don't know by looking at creation. I need His Word. I need His communication to tell me that. And that's what David gets to in verses 7 through 14. His Word reveals His grace. And notice he says in verse 7, the law of the Lord, of the Lord, he changes the way he talks about God. He changes the name he uses. Remember, back in verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, Elohim, the God, the creator God of all people. And then he comes to verse 7 and he uses a specific covenant name of God, all caps, Lord, Yahweh. We've talked about that before. It's the God of the covenant, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of David, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of the Bible. He's not talking about just any higher power or the man upstairs, as one famous athlete uh, declared this past week. He's talking about God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of Scripture. And that's what he's addressing here specifically. In verses 7 through 14, he gives a lot of, of metaphors for the written Word of God. He begins, first of all, by talking in verse 7 about God's Word being the source of restoration. Restoration. The law of the Lord is perfect, he says. It's, it's God's. It belongs to Him. It's the law, literally in Hebrew, the, the Torah. Specifically, we think of the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. But that word law, that to, word Torah means instruction. The instruction of God. That's found in all of Scripture, all the written Word of God. David says it's, it's perfect. It means it's, it's flawless. It, it's not missing anything. It, it's whole. I was blessed last night. Carolyn gave me some of her butterscotch pie. But there were some pieces missing out of it, you know. But, you know, the way I look at it, you know, is just like, you know, it's, it's, the old song says, it's close enough to perfect for me, you know. But... God's Torah, His law, His instruction, His written word, it's complete, it's perfect, it's, it's whole. Everything we need for what? He says, restoring the soul. Restoring it, it. Something being broken down and needs to be fixed back up. Like a car or a house, you know, restoration. It's our relationship with God that's been damaged. Through sin... Through rebellion, we no longer have a relationship with God. But God's law, God's instruction, it gives us, it's complete, gives us everything we need to know to be brought back 
and restored in the relationship with God, our Creator. The law of the Lord is perfect. It's a, a word of restoration. All you need to know about God and being right with Him is found in His Word, the Bible. Secondly, it's a source of wisdom. Wisdom. He next says the, the, the metaphor there is the testimony, the, the witness of God. What God has to say about what He sees and what He knows. Everything God has to say about Himself, about us, the testimony of the Lord is sure. It, it, it's right. It's, it's true. It's trustworthy. We can believe in it. And what it does, it supplies wisdom to the simple. It makes wise the simple. The simple is not somebody who is just dumb or, or just you know, refuses to know, but the simple is somebody who just doesn't know yet. They're, they're ignorant, not by choice, but ignorant because they've lacked the experience. Those who don't know how to be made right with God, those who don't know how to live a life to please Him, the Scriptures... They, they, they're sure. They make wise the simple. You come to the Scriptures, you're going to find wisdom to know God and, and to put into practice how to live for Him, the wisdom of God. But also, it's a source of joy, verse 8, the, the precepts of the Lord, his, his directions. We don't know the way. He gives us precepts. Here is your checklist. Here is your, your, your directions. The precepts of the Lord are right. They're right. We don't have to worry about being led astray. The people that came and delivered the carpet from my office, they showed up and they said, you know, the GPS device told us your church was way on down the road there. I'm like, those things are not always sure. But the precepts and the directions of the Lord are sure. We can always trust in them. They're never going to lead us astray. And because of that... He says, rejoicing the heart. We can have joy to know that we have a God who loves us so much, He's going to reveal a, a path, He's going to give us directions back to Him, and those directions are right. And what a, what a great source of joy to know we can come to God who has made us. We come to God and know Him and love Him. A source of joy, also a source of discernment, the source of discernment. Verse 8 says about the word of the Lord, the, the commandment of the Lord, singular. And we read the Bible, man, there's a lot of uh, commands, a lot of do's and a lot of don'ts. It all boils down to the commandment. Love God. Love God. Love others. The commandment of the Lord, David says, is pure. It's undefiled. It's, it's not contaminated. It's, like, it's not like the drinking water in Flint, Michigan. It, it, it's pure. It's pure. The commandment of God is not contaminated with anything wrong or evil or harmful. His command is, is, is pure. It's good for us. What does it do? It enlightens the eyes. It's like the radiance of the sun. It shows us the way. The commandment lights the path. It's like we're in the dark. We don't know which way to go, but the commandment of the Lord, it's right there. Love me. Come to me. Love me. Love others. The commandment of the Lord is pure. It opens and enlightens our eyes. The Word of God is also the source of cleansing. We come to verse 9 and we see... Here's a little bit of change in the syntax here. David's been saying these metaphors, the law of God, the testimony of God, the precepts of God, the commandment of God. 
is this and it does this. It is this and it does this. We come to verse 9, there's a little bit of a change. And when you see a little bit of a change, when you see a pattern, that change is very important. So David is saying all these things about the Bible, but here's what the Bible is supposed to lead us to do. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. God has given us His Word. Again, not just we just have the privilege of knowing Him, but the responsibility to revere Him. Wow, this is who God is? This is what God has done? This is what God does? This is how God judges? This is what God expects? Wow, this God is holy. And I'm not. It leads us to revere. This God's the Creator. I have been made by Him. A sense of reverence, a sense of awe. The, the Bible should lead us to this attitude. The fear of the Lord is clean. Is clean. We have this idea, okay, well, I'm, I'm dirty. I need to, I need to wash. I've you know, got Valentine chocolate all over my mouth. I need to, I need to clean myself up. Got some of those Oreo uh, truffles on, on my mouth. I need to clean them up. But when David's thinking about the law of God, he's thinking about cleanness in a ritual sense. He's thinking about all the ceremonial washings and all the, the foods that are clean and things you can't eat and, and all these things that are meant to make God's people distinct, ritually clean in, in God's sights, acceptable to God. And he says that. The fear of the Lord by coming to Him through His Word, it's clean. It makes us, the Bible is a way to worship God the way God wants to be worshipped. He says it's clean. It endures forever. It's permanent. What God has said about Himself, what God has said about what, what He accepts and what He rejects, it endures forever. It doesn't change. It's not wishy-washy like politicians. What God says is sure. It endures forever. It's a great source of encouragement for us great source of confidence for us it's a source of our cleansing it's a source of truth in verse 9 he says the judgments of the Lord it's like a judge making a, a decision, a declaration he's setting a precedence this is what I say is right this is what is guilty this is what is innocent the judgments of the Lord are true they're true, why? because they come from God God cannot lie. God is pure. God is holy. What God says is accurate 100% every time. And when God declares this is right, when God declares this is wrong, there's no gray area. There's no haggling about it. There's no compromise. The judgments of the Lord are true. All Scripture is God-breathed. It comes from God. If it comes from God, it carries His character it is true, it is trustworthy, it is powerful, it is authoritative. It comes from God, we've got to obey it. We've got to submit to it. We've got to surrender to what God says in His Scripture, what God says in His Word. It is the source of truth. It is objective truth. It doesn't change. It's also the source of satisfaction. Verse 10, David goes on to say, about the Lord and His judgments and His words, says they are more desirable than gold. Wow, what would you desire more than gold? Desire, he says, yea, they're, they're much fine gold. It's, 
What would you want more than gold? You'd want fine gold. What would you want more than fine gold? Much fine gold. Who would not be satisfied with much fine gold? And he says, but God's Word is even more desirable than that. It's even sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. God's Word's more desirable than gold, much fine gold. It's sweeter than honey. Why? Because it lasts and it satisfies. It's not here today, gone tomorrow. Nobody can take it away. It doesn't leave you. It doesn't disappoint you. It's always the same. It's consistent. And it does what it says it will do. It delivers every time. It's desirable. More desirable than gold, sweeter than honey. It satisfies like nothing else because it lasts. It lasts. It's also the source of discipline. We come to verse 11. David says, Moreover, by them your servant is warned. Your servant. He says, God, if you have spoken and your word is authoritative, I must humble myself and acknowledge you're the creator, you're the maker. I'm made by you. I belong to you. I serve you, not vice versa. You're not some genie in the bottle that I rub on and say, okay, this is what I want you to do for me, God. No, I'm your servant. What do you want me to do? Not what you want, not what I want you to do for me. It's the discipline of the Lord. He says, moreover, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. It's this idea of, of do what you're supposed to do. If not, there's punishment. Scripture tells us this. Wages of sin is death. Separation from God. Eternal torment in a place the Bible calls hell. But we also know there's great reward in loving God. In believing that God has loved us so much He sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins even though we have sinned against Him. Even though He is a just God must punish sin. He has chosen instead to send His Son to die in our place. Jesus would take our punishment so that we could be made right with God. If we trust in what God has done, we can have our soul restored, our lives restored to God. That's what the Bible shows us. Warnings, rewards. It's like the stick and the carrot for the horse. The, the stick drives the horse and the carrot draws the horse. Bible does that. It, it drives us where we need to go. It also draws us where we want to go. We are disciplined by God's Word. Finally, God's Word is the source of holiness. What is the proper response? God has revealed these things about Himself. He's the Creator. He's revealed to us in His Word. This is how you come back to Me. This is how your life is restored to Me. This is what I expect of you. Reverence and fear. This is what I, I expect you to submit to be in a servant relationship with the Lord. What is the proper response? Well, David begins to speak in verse 12 in first person plural. He's been talking about God, talking about God's Word. Now he says, I'm going to put myself into this equation. And he represents for us, through his response, what ours ought to be as well. It says in verse 12, Who can discern... His errors acquit me of hidden faults. We see God's Word, first of all, it gives us revealing of our sin, the revealing of sin. David begins to talk about his hidden faults. 
says, God, your word is, is pure, it's clean, it's true, it's trustworthy. It does all these things for me, and it shows me, God, where, where sin is. It reveals sin. These hidden faults, you know, we're, we can find the faults in others very easily, can't we? We can quickly point to others and say, there's a fault, there's a fault, there's a fault. We can't always do that with ourselves. But the Scriptures, when you open the Bible, it opens you up to God. And you begin to say, no, wait a minute. Yeah, that's me. Wait a minute, there's sin in my heart. And we need God to show us where that sin is. And he says, acquit me of hidden faults. God, I'm asking you, I'm pleading to you, God, to forgive me. I can't forgive myself. I need you to do that for me. Acquit me of those hidden faults. And Also, we see the restraining of sin in verse 13. Also, keep your servant back. Again, humility, understanding his place. Keep your servant back from presumptuous sins. Presumption, you presume something. It means you know something's wrong. God says don't do it, but you're going to presume to know more than God and say, I'm going to do it anyway. It's not that some sins are, are more heinous than others. It's the idea of knowing this is sin and I don't care, God. I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to do whatever I want. Presumptuous. You presume to know more than God. You presume God's just going to forgive me anyway. Presuming. David says, no, God, keep your servant from that. Let that not be my attitude about sin. Let them not rule over me. God, you rule over me. Don't let sin lead me where it wants me to go. God, you lead me. And notice he's praying to God for this. God, keep me back from presumptuous sin. God, don't let these sins rule over me. God, I need you. I need you in this fight against sin. I need your word in this fight against sin. And then we see finally the removing of sin in verse 13 and following. He says, and then, and only then, God, when you do these things for me, when you equip me, when you reveal my hidden sins, God, when you keep me back from presumptuous sins, Lord, you don't let them rule over me, then I will be blameless. Literally the same word, complete, that he used about the law of God. The law is there to restore me to you. And when the law shows me where I sin, the law drives me to your grace. And God, I plead for your mercy. God, forgive me. And then through your grace, through what you have revealed in your word, God, I am made whole and complete and faultless and blameless. I become God like you because of your grace revealed in your word. He says, and then I will be blameless. I shall be acquitted passively. God, you acquit me. I don't acquit myself. I don't declare myself not guilty. God, you do that. I shall be acquitted of great transgression. And then David says, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, what's on the outside, what's coming out, what's saying on the inside, God, let these things be acceptable in your sight. Not the sight of others. Not my own opinion of what's right. But God, let what I say and let what I do and let what I think, God, I need you to make these things acceptable. It's the idea of dependence on God's grace. God, 
let my words, let my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord. Again, covenant name of God, God of the Bible. You are the one I want to be accepted by. God and Father of my Lord Jesus Christ, you are the judge of what is right and wrong, and you are the one whom I want to be deemed acceptable by. Not some other deity out there, not some other idea or concept of God, but God and Father of my Lord Jesus Christ, the covenant God of His people. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. My rock, my constant, firm ground, my sure ground that I can stand upon and not be moved. My redeemer, my my one who purchases me back, my one who who loves me, my one who rescues me, my Hebrew word goel. We've been studying the book of Ruth a few months back. My goel, my my kinsman redeemer, my one like me who comes in to rescue me when I need him the most. O Lord, God of Israel, you are my rock. You are my redeemer through the removing of sin. We see David saying there's a humble dependence on God's Word. I know through creation there's a God and He's just, but I only know through the Bible, through His written Word, about my sin and about how that's removed. And it's only removed by His grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. So praise God that He has graciously chosen to reveal Himself to us. And He's done so through his works in creation and through his word in scripture now this week uh, Jaden came into the room and he said uh, here, here daddy I got this for you it's a watch and he handed it to me and I was like uh, no son it's a compass it, it, it's a toy compass and I said look it, it even works you know you hold it up and, and it points where, where north is and I was like wow I can't believe this toy actually works and and then Logan asked, he said, I don't, I don't get it. You know, how, does, how does a compass help you? And I said, we began to explain, you know, the North Pole has, has a magnetic uh, force to it. And, and, and uh, a science teacher like Sally, I know, would, would appreciate that, would know a lot more about it than I do. But I says, you know, this compass, it, it's drawn towards the north. And so if you're ever lost and you've got a compass, it always points to the north. But then comes the next step. You must decide whether or not you're going to believe that compass and follow its directions it's always pointing toward the north if it's working if it's right but then you've got to decide hey this compass says that's north nah that's north you've got to decide this is a trustworthy compass or not and I'm going to follow its direction if I'm lost either I follow its direction to where I need to go or I stay lost it's that simple. God's Word, God's Scripture is our compass. We're lost. It's always pointing to the north. It's always pointing us to God through Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father unless they come through Christ. God's Word is a sure compass. You have got to decide whether or not you believe that compass and whether or not you're going to follow that compass. And if you do, you arrive at the right destination. If not, you stay lost. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, once said this, Either sin will keep you from the Bible, or the Bible will keep you from sin. Either sin will keep you from God's Word, 
saying, well, I don't need God's Word. I don't believe that compass. Well, I believe that compass, but I don't really want to follow that compass because I don't want to go that way. Either sin will keep you from the Bible or the Bible will keep you from sin. Praise God that He is a God who speaks. His Word is trustworthy. And His Word points to life. They are beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Let's pray together. Indeed, God, we are humbled before You that You are the great God, the glorious God who created the universe and the stars and the sun that runs its course. And we, we rotate around the sun and, and we are just in awe in awe of your created power, your creative wisdom. But Lord, there's not enough revelation in creation to save a soul. We don't see in creation that you are a God of love. We don't see in creation that you sent your only begotten Son. We don't see in creation that he died on a cross to take our place. We don't see in creation that Jesus rose again three days later. We don't learn from creation that we've got to trust in you and surrender to you and cry out to you and fall upon your mercy. But Lord, your word, the scriptures, the Holy Bible shows us these truths. It is our moral compass more importantly, it is our spiritual compass. Lord, I pray that everyone here today sees the truth of your word, believes the truth of your word, surrenders to the truth of your word, comes to Christ, the living word for salvation. He is the only way, the only hope. Father, thank you for the scriptures. Thank you that we can trust in you. Thank you for eternal life, the forgiveness of sins. Through Christ Jesus, we pray these things in his blessed name. Amen.